It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 3814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July 14th, 2016. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello, Dan. Jacob, great to be with you tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Looking forward to our discussion. Looking forward to a good discussion, but before we get started, some big news. Yeah, we we want to really be pushing the fact that uh, this coming Monday and Tuesday evening, we're going to have our community Bible study here in Columbia. We we do this annually, uh, and it is our big push to, to get... Uh, to our community, to talk to the people of our community, to identify ourselves to the people in our community. And so uh, uh, we have developed a technique of seeking out a neutral site and uh, and then uh, getting someone to come and speak for us, give a presentation on what we think is an important, uh, crucial um, matter. In the past, we've covered topics like homosexuality, and uh, last year we talked about Islam. And this year, because this is a big election year, our topic is going to be about the Christian and his vote, uh, the Christian and his or her vote. And we're going to be talking about not candidates. We're not going to be endorsing political candidates. We're not going to be talking about specific candidates. We're going to be talking about the moral issues that at stake the kind of things that Christians need to be taking into consideration when they make a decision about who they will be voting for in this big upcoming election. So Monday and Tuesday, that's next Monday and Tuesday, 18th and 19th of July, uh, here in Columbia, at a, at a well-known place near downtown, uh, a public auditorium called the Memorial Building. If you're in Middle Tennessee, if you can come and join us, we'd love to have you. It's easy to find. If you can find the downtown square in Columbia, this building is just two blocks west of the downtown square in Columbia. And uh, I think you will not be sorry if you make the drive. All right. Yes. Plan on being there uh, July 18th and 19th. More information on our website. Yeah, and Steve, by the way, I didn't mention, Steve Klein, uh, a preacher and teacher from Athens, Alabama, will be doing the presentation. And But then we also open it up to questions from the audience, uh, and we usually have a, a really good participation. All right, so if you've got questions about that uh, and need more directions or more information, questions at collegeview.com, uh, you'll want to check we're that gonna out. We're going to try to do some. We're going to try to do. We will, if you can't, we don't want to discourage anybody who could come and participate live, but... If you're too far away, uh, we we always get these uh, presentations up on our website uh, as quickly as we can. Uh, and there's the at least the outside possibility that we might be able to live stream this event this this time. You know, and I think what we'll do, Jacob, if we can get a live stream going, we may send out an email message to our update oh, yeah, list. Okay. All right. Yeah. There's a big, there's an there there's some interest in that in North Alabama. They want to have a viewing party to watch the. Oh um, wow. Well, that, North Alabama. They, they're North Alabama. They're close enough to drive I think up maybe, here. Yeah, but that's what I'm hearing. So we're going to try and stream it. You'll definitely want to be here though, if you can, 
Uh, make sure you make plans to be with us uh, July 18th and 19th. Okay. All right. So uh, since this is uh, an important evangelistic uh, emphasis for our work here at the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, I thought tonight we would spend our time talking about evangelism and the importance of evangelism and, and some of the right attitudes and methodologies that we might employ uh, concerning evangelism. We're going to talk about evangelism on, a top, on our uh, virtual Bible study for a topic tonight. The number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address is questions at collegeview.com. And if you're watching us on the video feed tonight, to the bottom of your video feed is the chat window. If you're watching live, sign in with other listeners. You'll want to share your comments there. This is an important subject, not going to be a controversial subject. I don't think there's going to be anybody disagreeing uh, about what we're going to talk about tonight, but it's an important subject. You know, probably in the whole religious world, there wouldn't be a whole lot of disagreement about uh, the importance of evangelism, with the, with the possible exception of a few uh, real Adamant Calvinist, because yes, right. you, know, uh, you know we have some folks in our area called primitive Baptists, who I call ultra Calvinist, and the ultra Calvinist would say there's no use evangelizing because if a person is destined to be saved, they're going to be saved anyway. God will draw them, and you don't have to do anything to accomplish that. Uh, but with the exception of those people, and, I, and they're pretty rare. Uh, most everybody agrees we need to be getting the message out. Yeah, so those would be the probably Unitarian Universalist would not have a whole lot of uh, desire to evangelize. They wouldn't feel a need to because they think everybody's going to be saved anybody anyway. But uh, other than that, most people are going to agree with us tonight. But it is an important subject because it is an important task that we've been given and uh, one we need to be fulfilling. So to our update list earlier today, and we always remind you that if you're not on our update list, get on it by sending us an email to questions at collegeu.com. Uh, to our list earlier today, we sent out these questions. Number one, please give your observations about and what we can learn from these examples of evangelism in the New Testament. And I, then we're, we're going to look at six, and there's more than that, but we're going to look at six and see what we can learn from that. Yes. Then number two, we said prayer is an effective tool. There are a number of references to prayer in connection with evangelism in the new testament what do these show us to pray for relative to our evangelistic efforts so how how can we employ prayer what should we be praying for specifically what should we be praying about relative to getting the the gospel message out and then as we have time at the end of the program we want to look at the church at jerusalem and that church was a very effective uh, group uh, in regards to spreading the word, and we want to see what we can learn from them. All right, uh, so you'll want to stay tuned for this important discussion tonight. Again, 877-381-4567. We'll welcome your questions anytime or your comments, questions at collegeu.com. Even if you're listening to us in the recording, questions at collegeu.com. We'd love to hear from you about our topic or any other question or comment you might have. All right, some examples that you found in the New Testament. Well, the first one that I'd like to comment about is is the example set by Jesus when he encountered the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, that was surely a case of one-on-one evangelism. Jesus took an opportunity to teach that woman at the well. Uh, and I think uh, some interesting things about that episode, I don't know if, if our listeners have ever thought about, here Jesus was traveling. as he, he was, And it says uh, that when he, in John, this is recorded in John chapter 4, uh, it says that Jake, uh, Jesus came to, to Jacob's well near Samaria. In verse 6, Jacob's well was there 
Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. If you stopped right there and thought about it, you know, in the case of Jesus, this was not a really good time. This was, he was traveling. He was tired. He was thirsty. He asked for a drink. He was hungry. He sent his disciples into town to buy something to eat. You know, I think most of us would sort of argue from that that, this wouldn't have been a very good time for him. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, I agree. We ought to be teaching, but I don't feel like it right now. This is not a good time for me, you know. Uh, but we learn from Jesus that even though you're not, even though it may not be ideal, maybe you're tired or something like that, uh, you ought to do it. You ought to take the opportunity to speak to someone. Uh, I think Jesus really sets a high, high standard there. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily an ideal time. And I sort of see here that jesus sort of just works it into the conversation the door she opened the door she said how come you're asking me a samaritan when you're a jew yeah that that, there was a religious inference there and he walked through the door um sometimes we pass on those opportunities yeah i think often we pass on those opportunities yeah there's there's a lot in that text and we won't go into all the detail of that text but i would just say don't be looking for an ideal time or an ideal place. Just teach any time and any place you have the opportunity to do so. And, you know, we are all in situations where we have an opportunity to speak to someone. If you work in a job and maybe sit around a coffee break table or a lunch table with some coworkers, there, now I'm not saying every day at lunch break you ought to bring up right. evangelism, but there are times and there are openings and if you, uh, if you, are perceptive to that, then you can walk through that door. You know, there's another lesson here that um, we look for acquaintances or people that we would have the opportunity to maybe have a protracted Bible study with. And Jesus, this is a stranger. Jesus will probably never see her again. And yet he takes the opportunity to plant some seeds and see what happens. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that we often do is we sort of prejudge people as to whether they'd be receptive or right. not. You know, and this woman, if you were trying to prejudge this situation, this woman is not a likely candidate to be taught yeah. the, because she had a problem with a lot of past immorality in her life. She was apparently a pretty notoriously bad woman in the city. And uh, and so, yeah, no use talking to her. I don't think she'd be interested anyway. Right. right. So just skip that. But Jesus did. He did speak to her. And, it, of course, I think one of the real stunning things about that text is sort of the snowball effect. Um, the, the the woman went into the city and told mm-hmm. what Jesus had been talking to her about. And in verse 39 of John 4, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said to the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So, you know, that's sort of a snowball effect. And that that's really... I think ideally what we'd like to see, you know, so you take a chance to talk to one person. Who knows? That might lead to however many more. All kinds of possibilities might come up, but it takes that first effort. Yeah. All right. Good comments. 
877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And it's uh, silent in the chat room tonight. Um, Give us your thoughts in the chat room. Anywhere and any time you can send your comments in the chat room. Be, you know, Don't be shy and bashful. Yeah. Um, our friend Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, sent an email in. And he just sort of spoke generally about the all these episodes that we're going to be talking about. Uh, he's, and he, he says it's true that local New Testament churches have the responsibility to accomplish their own independent work in evangelizing those who are lost. And he references Colossians 1.23. But he says the, the passages that you've set forth also mandate the obligation that Christians as individuals have to be active in uh, New Testament evangelism. Unfortunately, some brethren fail in this obligation as individuals by not understanding the individual obligation God places on Christians as individuals to engage in evangelism. It is certainly the case that while a local church can have a very active program in evangelism, some individual Christians fail regarding the individual obligations in such. Profound. I think that's right. Because yeah, we, th- we look at we look at folk, let's look in the area of benevolence. We look at, at people who don't, they're not benevolent at all, but they, the, the church will take care of that. Well, that's or you know, I give my money to the church, and and so that's so that's it, being I taken care of. That's I'm being done. taken care of. You know. Yeah. But you know, I've always thought in in regards to helping benevolently. Well, the church takes care of it. Well, if you if you calculated the percent of your contribution of the church's total budget, and then the part of that, the the small fraction of that total budget that went to this evangelistic effort. It may be that my contribution to that specific evangelistic effort was 45 cents, you know, but I'm patting myself on the back that I've really done a great work of, of, of benevolence. I think the same thing could be true of evangelism. Just because I gave some money and the church then engaged in a program of evangelism or supported a preacher or conducted a gospel meeting or had a community Bible study, and then I'm patting myself on the back because I gave some money. Well, if you calculated out how much of your money was actually in that program or in that effort, it might it might be surprisingly pretty small. So we can't uh, we can't just contribute to absolve our our requirements to be evangelistic. But f- furthermore, I think there sometimes Christians aren't engaged in personal evangelism because they're waiting for some, maybe some program for the church to develop. Yeah. You know, the, the church the church the, the church just isn't evangelistic. In the community, well, as Kent said here, individuals have a responsibility. So you can't blame the church. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, we hear the criticism, the church is not doing enough, uh, not being evangelistic enough. You know, the right answer to that is, that's true. Yeah, It's always true. We always do more. But the the, the point you're making, I think, that Kent was making is, I don't, I should not be waiting for somebody else to get something going. Sure. And it, it doesn't take a program. Yeah. It's just you doing what you what you can do when you have the opportunities. And that's what Jesus did with the Samaritan woman as well. Certainly the church needs to be encouraging that. Yeah. Uh, and, and perhaps the church can come up with a program, but the most effective is going to be is when I take the initiative myself and take the opportunities that are presented to me. Yeah. Um, Kent adds a P.S. to his overall comments. He said, you guys are addressing some very crucial topics tonight with which all of us need to be deeply concerned. It is truly sad that materialism, worldliness, and liberalism has destroyed the fervency of brethren in evangelism. I think he's probably right, too. Uh, you know, and I do think that Christians of past generations were more so evangelistic than we are. We've kind of we've kind of backed away. Well, you know, if we get serious about this evangelism, it may mean 
that I won't be able to spend the weekend on the lake. Maybe I'll have a Bible study or something on Saturday. Maybe yeah. that's up my, my trip to the lake. Uh, it may mean that uh, I won't get to enjoy some of the other things that I would enjoy. But, you know, the, the, the reality of evangelistic things cramping my recreational style are, are really pretty remote. Because, I mean, I, I, I'm, but, I'm, I mean it's going to be an inconvenience. It, it can happen, but it's not going to be that big of a problem. If I'm using that as my excuse, then I'm, I'm, I'm just grasping for straws. And he mentions liberalism. Liberalism certainly has influenced our world in a profound way such that folks don't think there's much use in it. It's not that big a deal. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. It's not a big deal. We live in this uh, postmodern era where there's really no absolutes. You just believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. There's really no urgent need to try and convince people of right versus wrong because folks don't think there is a right or wrong. In the chat room, Philip says, one of the keys to evangelism is being perceptive to the opportunities open to us on a daily basis. Second is being ready for such uh, can be found in Acts 8, 1 through 4 and and preach Jesus in Acts 8 and following. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, actually, Philip, but I think you're exactly right. Um, you, you, can go, you can go for a long period of time and, and, and say, well, I never had a chance uh, to talk to anybody. And the fact of the matter is you had all kinds of chances and you just weren't. You know, in that, uh, in that John 4 episode, Jesus said to his disciples, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. That's what we got to do. All right, time for a break, and when we get back, we'll continue the discussion. We want to look, uh, when we get back, Philip and, or sorry, Christians scattered in Jerusalem, Philip and the eunuch, Ananias and Saul, some others as well. We'll look forward to your comments in the chat room, over the phone, over even email tonight. We'll get a break and get your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. Here's some quotes worth pondering. What we do on some great occasion will probably depend on what we already are, and what we already are will be the result of previous years of self-discipline. Spend your time wisely. You only have one chance. It is the bravest man who overcomes his desires rather than he who overcomes his enemies, for the hardest victory is the victory over self. Wisdom is the quality that keeps you from getting into a situation where you really need it. An honest man alters his opinions to fit the truth, while a dishonest man alters the truth to fit his opinions. Man, wish I'd said that. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. Back on the program tonight, talking about evangelism and the important need of it. We've talked about Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, being willing to teach anywhere, anytime, taking the opportunities that present themselves. You know, one, and this is sort of related to that, not necessarily in your outline of thoughts, but... We look for those perfect opportunities, those perfect candidates, ones that don't have much that they need to change. You know, we look look for a neighbor that maybe is fairly good guy, right? Doesn't beat his wife. Uh, got a good family, nice kids. They're well behaved. He he doesn't curse what, around me at least, and you know I don't see him out partying. That's the guy I want to teach. Yeah. Jesus didn't do that. Exactly right. 
Uh, and you know, here's another one. This one was a perfect, a total stranger. Jesus, well, he knew about her personally, but a person in that normal person in that scenario wouldn't know. But he took the opportunity to teach her, and he didn't necessarily um, go into it as I, I think we look at those look for the perfect candidate because our our end goal is we want to convert people. Our our goal ought to be we want to teach. Yeah. So so we can find a stranger we don't know anything about, and we can just mention something about. Yeah, that. I think sometimes, and I, I've even heard it vocalized this way: we got to be baptizing more people. We got to convert more people. We got to convert more people, meaning and including we got to be baptizing more people. That's not our that's not our realm. Our realm is to teach, and then theirs is to decide what they will do with what they're taught. And so, as long as we're teaching, as long as we're out there spreading the word, sowing the seed, then we're doing the part that God has assigned us, and we can't really. We don't have control over how many we're converting. Yeah. As long as we're effectively doing our work of spreading the gospel. Yeah, and we look at we look at that goal, that end goal, and we're not going to do anything unless we can get to that end goal, right? Like for I mean you you, you don't start a big project unless you think you can complete the project. Yeah. And so if we make our goal is we're going to convert people, then I'm not going to bother getting started unless I can find that perfect convert, perfect candidate. Yeah, in other words, I'm if this is a person who's probably not going to obey the gospel, I'm just wasting my time because I'm not going to. Because get... my end goal here is converting yeah, people. Yeah. And I'm not. This this opens it up. We can bring up religious things to perfect strangers, right? The yeah. waitress at the restaurant, the guy at the gas station. We can drop a little seed in there, and who knows what may happen to that seed down the road, right? But I don't have to have a Bible study with that guy. Yeah. I don't have to say, okay, for the next six months, you're coming to my house on Tuesday. We're going to have a Bible study. And there, but but those kind of things will develop I, naturally, yes, and I, we're going to need those. Yeah, but we shouldn't. And we will convert some people by doing that, but that can't be our that can't be our focus. Our focus is to teach. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right about that. And and so you could be in outer Mongolia. You're you're there on business. You're going to be there for one day. You meet somebody at the gas station. You can drop a little seed. Drop it. You'll never have, ever ever be able to talk to that person again. But you could plant a little seed. Yeah. All right. I think that's right. Okay. Um, by the way, uh, there's, uh, we're getting way off our, our outline here, but uh, I did a survey several years ago. I was on a sort of an email. Uh, what, what do they call those? It was a, it was an email group of some kind. But, but anyway, people were exchanging sermons and articles and concepts and thoughts and. I don't know, as long as a number of years ago, but I put out a questionnaire to all, there were several dozen preachers, and I asked these preachers to respond concerning the people that had been converted in their local congregations uh, over the last three-year period of time. And uh, there were some interesting conclusions drawn from that, but pr- the primarily interesting conclusion was that the people we're converting are not typically total strangers. You know, we try to come up with all kinds of schemes to reach total strangers. But statistically, the people we're converting are people we already know. Uh, our acquaintances, our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors, people that we already have a relationship with. And in that survey that I conducted, it was over the top that... Almost exclusively, the people who were being reached with the gospel were not total strangers. They were people we already know. And yeah. those are the ones I think we really need to focus on. And we don't do that. We, we come up with all kinds of schemes to, to reach out out here to these total strangers, which is fine. We need to be doing that. 
We need to be doing both, but we should not. But we ought to realize it's it's sort of like when you're picking apples off an apple tree. You pick the low-hanging fruit first. Yeah. You know, you know, there's a really nice apple, but you're way up there on top of the tree, and I have to get an extension ladder out to get it. But I got ten right here, right here at arm's length. Yeah. I want to pick these first. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I heard, and uh, let's just keep off tra- off track here. I also heard I heard a guy say it this way. He said, "We need to set it our goal not to make converts, but to be rejected. Right? We need to make it our goal that we're going to give everybody." That we come in contact with the opportunity to reject the truth of the gospel, right? Rather yeah. than I'm looking for who can it, like that. So the parable of the sower, he is like holding on to his seed, waiting for that perfect ground. He's going to drop it right where it needs to be. Yeah, he was scattering it everywhere. Everywhere, he, and he knew he was going to be rejected. He knew it was going to waste of time, right? And we need to do the same. Let's 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 not fear people turning it down. We've done our part when yeah. when they turn it down. Yeah. Right. Exactly right. Okay. All right, let's move on to another example of evangelism in the New Testament. We, we're taking way too long here, but that's all right. I think the discussion's important. Uh, what about the Christians who were scattered from the city of Jerusalem? I'll tell you, those people were under under the gun, literally. Uh, well, there weren't guns back then, but they were under a slingshot. The, 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 they were under the sword. They were under the sword and the whip. Uh, but it was really hard times in Jerusalem, and so hard that they had. Can you imagine having to leave your hometown? Many of them did. Some of them were not from Jerusalem initially, anyway. But uh, as those Christians were scattered out of Jerusalem, you have to believe that they were frightened. And literally, their lives were at risk. But what did they do as they were scattered? Well, in Acts chapter 8, it says at verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad... Well, let's back up and just kind of get the context. Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. Stephen had just been stoned, the first Christian martyr. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Uh, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. You know, that, that's pretty amazing to me that, you know, well, we've already been run out of town. For pre- let's just, let's just keep it on the down low. Let's keep quiet. Let's don't, let's don't get out. Let's don't put ourselves out there again because all that's going to happen is going to get in, we're going to get in more trouble. Let's just keep quiet. Uh, but they didn't. They went everywhere preaching the word. Some people have sort of represented what happened there as like throwing water on a grease fire. That's what I was going to say. Or stopping on a fire and it spreads everywhere. It's, yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and it just, and it just, the persecution that they encountered actually resulted in the spread of the gospel. It was really amazing. Uh, what, what would you draw from, what, what conclusion could you draw from their example in that matter? I would say that that one thing that's very obvious is they weren't worried about their personal safety or or being comfortable. You know, uh, uh, I don't want to do anything that makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. No, they 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 got out of their comfort zone. They had conviction. They had had conviction. conviction. And it's similar to the statement earlier in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. Peter and John said, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They couldn't hold it in. They went everywhere preaching the word. They they felt obligated. Yeah, we're not under the same kind of persecution at all, and and, and nobody is going to throw us in jail. Nobody's going to uh, you know beat us or uh, whatever. And yet, I think we feel afraid, 
and it, uh, afraid keeps us from trying things, keeps us from doing things. You know, one of the things that we do on this uh, community Bible study each year, Jacob, you kind of instigated this uh, two or three years ago. Uh, on the weekend before the event, we get out and hold up signs along the road the roadsides at some major intersections around town. We get people to wave and honk, and you know, but we get the word out. You know, uh, there have been some people who've really been afraid to do that. You know, and and, it, and honestly, it is a little bit intimidating when you first start. Uh, but we need that sort of thing. We need to to do something that's not real comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, and the voice you heard behind the curtain, by the way, is Kyle. I haven't introduced him yet. Kyle, thanks for being here. That's all Kyle, be. you've yeah. helped with that the sign holding, and yeah, uh, which even uh, it is. You have to step outside. You need to get it, out. It is embarrassing and uncomfortable for a little while. Well, that's with anything. You need to, as Christians ourselves, or anybody, especially a young man who wants to get up and do anything in front of the church for the first time. You have to. We we have to. How are you going to evangelize to anybody if you can't talk to her? You can't, can't hold a sign on the side of the road. You're, yeah. you're sure not going to be able to. You know. Now, how long did it take for that uncomfortableness, though, as you're well, holding the sign? Just, it disappeared immediately. Yeah, much. it goes so away. Because you you're not talking to the people as they're driving by. I mean, they're just they're coming, and you're, it, so you're just holding the sign. It's, it's a wave. temporary uncomfortableness, and I think it's that way with any of our evangelism, yeah. right? It's going to be uncomfortable yeah. at first, but uh, we'll get to where it's, it's a natural thing for us. You know, they, these first century Christians who were under that severe persecution, and yet they still kept spreading the message what an example for us, and you know that we really need to be motivated by their example to do more and and to and to get out of that comfort zone and and really be busy. I, you know, I, we can offer all kinds of excuses for why we're not uh, being able to reach as many people as they did in in the past, but again, that's not that's not what we're really about. What we're about is spreading the message, and whether yeah. and and we will reach some people with a message, and maybe our our return on evangelistic investment won't be as great as it was in the past, but that's not what we're after anyway. It's not our task. See, yeah, people people sort of bemoan, bemoan the fact, oh, well, people are just aren't in, interested in spiritual things anymore. That doesn't make any difference in my job, right? I, my job is to just give people the opportunity. Yeah. It, does, it makes no difference. They could, it, could be the mo- it could be Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, the day before the, the fire and brimstone coming down, and I, I can, I can have the same success as anybody else in my job. I can have 100% success, guaranteed. I can have 100% success tomorrow, in whatever town I'm in, by just proclaiming the gospel. Just say a word. Yeah, right. right 100% good. success, guaranteed. Uh, oh, here's an interesting uh, and then very uh, good comment from Philip. Not only under the gun, he's talking about you, you're mentioning the disciples under the gun. He said, but it was the disciples, not the apostles, nor elders or deacons, the average disciple was ready to teach. Yeah, did you notice that, that the ones who were scattered, they were scattered away from uh, uh, Jerusalem except the apostles. The apostles didn't leave Jerusalem, and so it had to be some of those average disciples that were going out there spreading the message. All right. Timothy has a question. He says, uh, we are discussing this subject with the downtown church in uh, Granbury, Texas. How do you get past training to evangelize and to just do it? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think that a, that a degree of training is appropriate. I mean, we got to know what we're going to teach. we, we got to be familiar with our subject matter. But you don't have to be a Bible scholar to be able to, to reach out to lost people. And especially in regards to opening up opportunities to teach, 
I, I may not be very qualified at all. Maybe I'm a new Christian. Maybe I'm a young Christian. Maybe I have not learned a lot of Bible t- subjects. But I know a lot of people. And and I can enthusiastically reach out to them. And then I can bring with me someone more skilled in teaching. And, and over time, I will learn to be a teacher. Uh, there's ways around that, but that shouldn't stop us. But I think maybe what Timothy's talking about is we spend all of our time training. We'd spend all of our time talking about how to do it, and but we never get around to actually doing it. And I do think that's a problem. Uh, we need we need to we need to get out there and do it. All right, all right. Um, let's uh, let's get a break. When we get back, we'll hopefully take some more of your comments, and uh, we'll get into the discussion. We're not going to make it tonight unless we pick up some. some we don't have to make it. We're having a good discussion. I think. All right. Well, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. This week's bullet point. We're back right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. In a recent visit with a denominational preacher, it was noted that we have some real and serious doctrinal differences. Would you be willing to discuss these in a friendly way, I asked? He responded, I'm not going to try to convert you, and you definitely aren't going to change me. While the attitude he expressed is very common these days, we think it's wrong on several levels. First, this attitude certainly conveys the idea, I'm right and couldn't possibly be wrong. No one can afford to think that way. Consider Apollos in Acts chapter 18. He was a well-educated man from a respected center of biblical studies. He was an eloquent speaker, and he was highly committed to spreading his message. But when he arrived in Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla recognized his faulty understanding and reached out to him with help. To his credit, he accepted their instructions, changed, and went on to be a faithful and effective preacher of the word. That would have never have happened if he had proudly said, You definitely aren't going to change me. Let's all be open to the reality that we might just be wrong, and if so, we want to be instructed in the way of God more perfectly. Secondly, this preacher's response also suggests that he isn't really interested in me. We differ. He acknowledges this, yet he has no interest in changing my understanding. How can this be? If these differences are significant enough to provoke his you-won't-change-me reply, then they are surely important enough that he ought to want to change me. Yet he says no. Out of love for my soul, he should want to reach me, but he won't. Finally, his reaction to the offer to study our differences also shows that he's content to remain in a divided religious state. In so doing, he is directly counteracting the desire and prayer of Jesus that we be united. See John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. So, his response was a common one, but it exposes some serious wrong attitudes. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program tonight. Uh, reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about our upcoming community Bible study, July 18th and 19th at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Get your uh, free bumper sticker to help us advertise the virtual Bible study uh, by sending an email, questions at collegeview.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Just let us know you're out there listening. We'd like to know where you are uh, and uh, that you're listening uh, to the program, and we welcome your questions or comments at any time. Talk about that uh, preacher you tried to reach out to. Some folks say that was an abysmal failure. That you try to get him to study. You had it. That was you, that was success. I think so. Yeah, you, you did what you're a, supposed to do. Yes, you, that's why we got to look at it. You gave the opportunity. He turned it down. On to the next. Yeah, that's right. 
A, ra- a raging success. <laughs> a raging success, yeah. It would be, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, I mean we, we, it was we got to do that. It was a success. You did yeah. your part. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go on to another example, a definite example of evangelism in the New Testament. And that is of Philip and the eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Um, one of the things I think, uh, there's a lot in that text too, Acts chapter 8. How, how often have we studied the case of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Um uh, but what's really interesting is that Philip was actually involved in an evangelistic effort just before the episode with the Ethiopian eunuch. Right. He was in the city of Samaria, um, and uh, it, it, it the whole city was, was coming mm-hmm. to hear Philip mm-hmm. preach. And even Simon the sorcerer, the guy who had previously uh, held sway over them, by deception, even he was converted. I mean, things were going gangbusters in Samaria, yep. and suddenly he's called away. He's miraculously called away. Now we're not going to get a miraculous call to do evangelism. So what are you going to what are you going to call Philip away from? Here he is. He, he's preaching to the whole city of Samaria. You're going to call him away? It must be even bigger than that. I mean, I mean, it must be like unbelievable. What was he called away to? One man on the road. He was called away to teach one he, man. On he the, ran to him when he saw him. He ran, yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, I guess uh, we, we should uh, – maybe that talks along the lines of some of the things we were mentioning, Jake. We shouldn't measure this all by numbers, you know. Uh, every soul is important, and whether I'm talking to five or 500, it's all valuable, and, yeah. and we need to do it. All right, uh, it is. Now, there's a, a, a interesting question for Timothy again in the chat room. He said, I heard recently from an evangelist speak of cold, warm, and hot leads, as in sales, describing how he spends his time with prospects to sp- spread the gospel. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that sort of goes to what you were saying. You know, I mean, it's a little different than sales prospects. If, if, if I'm viewing this like I would as a salesman, uh, if I'm if I'm selling uh, mop handles, I, I I have a specific audience. I'm wasting my time if I go to others, you know. Uh, and so I'm going to, you know, I, I need to be I need to be talking to housewives who are doing housework, uh, you know, yeah. to buy my mop handles. Yeah. There's no use talking to uh, a telephone repairman on a telephone pole because he doesn't need a mop handle anyway. Uh, <laughs> so you know the the. I, I I think it's a little it it, it needs to be viewed diff, uh, in some in some respects. Uh, I mean, there's some things you can learn from good sales yep. techniques, yep. but no, it's not one to one. And it, it, yes, and but now if I've got three opportunities to study, then I probably am going to go with the one who I think is the most receptive. Right? If three people are willing to study with me, and I can only get to one of them, right? Then I would I would go after that hot lead. Um, but just in general, I think we need to be careful about. Well, it. yeah. If if there's this guy who has said, "I want to have a Bible study with you," versus the guy yeah. across the street says, "I don't care about what what God yeah. says. I don't even think there is a God, and, yeah. I, and I'm mad at the world." Yeah. Then I'll probably go with the guy who says, "Come, please come study with me." Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that's right. Kyle, well, that's yeah. Of course, I mean, it's um, there are some people who are more more receptive, I guess, and some who are, which I guess we all have those people around us who know we know antagonistic, yeah, yeah. which. Yeah. Um, and then uh, 
Philip says, Ephesians chapter 6, verses, oh, okay, this is about uh, prayer. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's get, he wants us to get, a, get on with the study of it. Yeah, okay. All right, so Philip and Eunuch, a lot to learn from the case of Philip and Eunuch, but the, I think the thing I'm taking away from that is don't, don't judge it by numbers. Uh, Philip, actually, I think we here 2,000 years later nearly, probably gained more from the exchange that Philip had with the eunuch than we did with Philip in the city of Samaria, although both are very valuable accounts. The one that's better remembered is Philip and the eunuch than, than Philip in Samaria. And Philip and I mean, the eunuch, think about how far that got the gospel by, by teaching that one person. So you just yeah. don't know how things will work out. Um, certainly, uh, don't be uh, so committed to numbers. Okay. Uh, another example that I referenced in our update questions was, what about Ananias and Saul of Tarsus? This is in Acts 9. You remember Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. The Lord s- spoke to him, showed himself to him on the road to Damascus, and and uh, he said, go into the city, he'll be told thee what thou must do. Right. Well, the one who was going to tell him what he must do was Ananias. And the Lord appeared to Ananias and said, I want you to go talk to Saul. Yeah. And I said, oh, you want me to do what? <laughs> you want me to do what? <laughs> yeah, you, you know about this guy, right? Yeah. Um, you, you haven't heard? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so Ananias literally feared for his life. He, he said, um, uh, verse 10, this is Acts 9, verse 10, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints at Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. So Ananias, I mean... Uh, literally and legitimately had real fear for his personal safety. And the Lord said, go anyway. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, I, I would draw a, a case from that that we should not be so afraid. You know, what's the worst they could do? Well, the worst they could do is that they could put you to death. Or, yep. uh, second worst, I guess, would be throw you in prison. And you know what? That's not going to happen to us. Now, that might happen to some people in some places in the world, but that's not going to happen to us. You know, so if that can't happen to us, then what's the worst they could do? Well, they could belittle you or uh, mock you or make fun of you or – is that that bad? Yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't yeah. be afraid. And I said, God, you know, that this guy is persecuting Christians. God says, go. He – you know, they might not like me. They might make fun of me. Kyle, Jesus says, go in Matthew or John 15, verse 18. If they hate me, they will hate you. Do it. Don't, be, don't it be afraid. It means our, our greatest enemy is worthy of salvation, I guess, too. So it's somebody who we, the least, I guess this is an example of someone who's the least prospective client, I guess, the least prospective, uh, you know, uh, person who could receive the gospel, I guess. It's just a, a there, we need to, Someone who we don't think they could ever accept it. We need the one. He's the one that needs it most, probably. And uh, Paul was broken. He was shattered right there in front of Ananias. So he's like, he just. So it's it's a perfect opportunity for Ananias. Saw that, I think too. So he's just a great opportunity for and him. And we don't to know evangelize. much about. Yeah, we don't know much about this Ananias guy. But what we do know is pretty commendable. He went even in the face of real danger. He went, and we need to be not afraid. 
Real quick, let's grab one more before we get our last break. Peter and Cornelius. Uh, we won't take time to read all that. That's Acts chapter 10. You know, Acts chapter, uh, the book of Acts is sometimes called the book of conversions. Thousands of people converted to Christianity in the book of Acts, and we're reading how they did it. You know, what was, uh, how, what was their methodology? How did they look at these things? All right. Peter and Cornelius. The takeaway from Peter and Cornelius is Peter, because he was a Jew and Cornelius was a Gentile, there was a strong ethnic prejudice going on there. Peter especially against anybody like Cornelius who was a Gentile. But the Lord, of course, it, it, there was a lot, of, a lot of basis for that. But the Lord appeared to him miraculously and said that he should not have that prejudice bias against uh, uh, the Gentiles. And so Peter went and taught Cornelius. And I think that uh, uh, we should work hard to overcome our Social prejudices, maybe uh, any preconceived notions we have about people, uh, specific people, groups of people, races of people. We, we should be careful to, to overcome any prejudice that would keep us from reaching out to all men with the gospel. Races of people, um, economic situations, economic classes of people, appearance. You, you referenced uh, in a recent lesson, James chapter two, uh, Verse 2, for if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come in a, a poor man in filthy clothes, you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand here or sit there. Uh, they were guilty of that. Oh, this yeah. guy, he's he's pretty clean character. He might be, you know, he's the one we need. Uh, this other guy, he's all grimy and looks like he's sort of had a rough life. Eh, yeah. Not too worried about him. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's let's grab our last break. We got one more example when we get back, and then we we're going to cover the part about prayer. What should we, when it comes to evangelism, we can use prayer. What should we be praying for relative to evangelism? We'll, we'll grab that before our program's over. We'll get back to the thoughts after this. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Britt Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Persons 65 years or older numbered 46.2 million in 2014. That's the latest year for which data is available. They represented 14.5% of the U.S. population, about one in every seven Americans. People 65 and older are expected to grow to be 21.7% of the population by 2014. By 2060, there will be about 98 million older persons, more than twice the number in 2014. That information is via Forbes.com. 
Proverbs 16.31 says, The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls along. We're back on the program tonight uh, as we talk about evangelism. Certainly some encouraging things we've discussed so far. We think we can all improve in that. And uh, some examples from the book of Acts that help us along those lines. Let's talk about one more real quick. Uh, Paul and Silas, when they were in the jail in Philippi, and they converted the jailer, the Philippian jailer. Paul, Silas, and the Philippian jailer. Uh, uh, Talk about uh, uh, an unlikely spot for evangelism. uh, Paul and Silas had been beaten with stripes, uh, which, by all understanding, that was a brutal punishment. I mean, they had been severely hurt. They were injured. Uh, That was not a mild a punishment that was a brutal punishment that they had suffered but and and then they were locked in a dungeon beaten and locked in a dungeon yeah, i don't know we can't that i don't think we can get a good uh mental image of what that must have been like i'm gonna tell dungeon. you but i'm not i'm i'm gonna keep my mouth shut if if i've been beaten and thrown in a dungeon for preaching the gospel surely i'm gonna keep my mouth shut yeah no no they they were singing praises to god at midnight and uh, an earthquake occurred, and and, and by God's uh, miraculous intervention, what did they do? They taught and converted the jailer. Um, well, again, so the miraculous is not going to happen in our day and time, but we may be in a situation. You know, here here they were. It just so happened that they were in a situation to talk to that guy, and it appears that that guy had an open heart to receive the the truth of the gospel we need to believe that situations develop and it may be god's providence at work we don't know you can't identify god's providence by the very nature of it you can't identify god's providence but we need to believe that god's providence is at work uh, and that we too can't will will find ourselves in situations where there are people who are seeking the truth and we can teach them and we just need to have that confidence. All right, absolutely. Excellent uh, comments there. Some Certainly some good examples from the book of Acts that can encourage us all to be. And there are more. And there are more. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Timothy asked a question. Where do you spend your time wisely? I seem to have spent my time with cold leads and not very productive. On the other hand, my parents were converted by door knocking and the gospel has spread to their grandchildren. So those were cold leads that his parents were as they were converted. Uh, he says he spent his time with cold leads and not very productive. That may—that's probably been the case yeah, for many of us. I think that's right, Timothy. I, I don't feel like the Lone Ranger there. Uh, The—I uh, think all of us are having harder time finding people who are are really interested, but we keep trying. And if and if and, and he talks about his parents. Uh, well, back in the day that his parents were reached by door-to-door evangelism, door-to-door evangelism was more effective than it is now. People are far more reclusive in their homes now than they used to be. Uh, so times change and situation, but we just keep trying. And unless you're letting the hot leads go to waste, there's no problem with pursuing the cold leads. That's right. Right? I mean, I, I don't, I don't I got like, 10 hot leads, but I'm going to leave those alone so I can go out here and Try to hit some cold leads. No, we wouldn't do that. But no, if but we don't I have got, hot I got leads, ten cold leads, but no hot any. leads. But I'm just going to say, well, I don't want to waste my time with those cold leads. No, yeah. I mean, so yeah, okay. yeah. No, but again, Timothy, I think your your experience is what lots of us are experiencing. I mean, and over the years, I can say I find it much harder now 
to find people who are really interested in legitimate Bible study than back when I first started preaching years ago. It's, it's, times have changed and it has become, I'm not, but I, I, I don't try to dwell on that. I don't, we don't, it doesn't do us any good to dwell on that. We just keep trying. And he also says there are examples in Paul's travels where he bypassed certain places. Yeah, but, but some of that was by the direct guidance of the Holy Spirit too, which we won't have. Okay. All right. Good comments. All right. Uh, all right. Let's go real quickly. We're just about out of time. Yeah, we're running out of time. Another and... part of the questions I ask, prayer is an effective tool for evangelism. Uh, what are some of the things that we see in the New Testament that we should pray for relative to evangelism? Kent in Georgia said, prayer is indeed an effective tool in evangelism. Such is true because prayer is essentially connected to the providence of God. We definitely need the Lord's providential assistance and blessings as we strive to accomplish what he both authorizes and requires that we do. Okay, I, I made a list here. And I think Philip's got a, uh, a good point in the chat room, too. Pray for the lost. Pray specifically for the lost. Paul prayed uh, in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Here's, here's the whole Jewish nation. Paul was praying that they might be He prayed that for these lost people. Pray for the lost. Pray generally, pray specifically. If you know specific individuals that you have an opportunity to reach with the gospel, uh, pray for the lost. All right, good, good comments. Number two, pray that the gospel will not be hindered. You know that nothing will happen that would keep us from being able to reach the lost. Second Thessalonians three verse one. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Pray that the gospel have free course. You know, some things could happen. Uh, we've talked about this. You know, maybe they start passing some laws that you can't you can't freely preach the gospel. You you can't go out on the street corner and hold up a sign. That's uh, that's too. What would that be? Too hateful, maybe. Yeah. You know, you know all, we're all worried about hate speech and everything. And so, you know, if you hold up a sign inviting people to an evangelistic meeting. You can't do that anymore. Might offend somebody. Might offend, yeah. Might offend bad. <laughs> people are uncomfortable. Yeah. So, uh, but pray that that sort of thing won't happen. Pray that the gospel will not be hindered. Yes. Number three, pray for more workers. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of harvest, pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest that he would send forth laborers into his vineyard. Uh, yeah. so pray, pray that more people will get involved. Yeah, there are, there are, as Kent mentioned in his email, there are a lot of Christians who are just not involved in trying to be evangelistic, and let's just pray that more of them will take that initiative and get involved. Uh, excellent points. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm seeing a trend here. There are a lot more verses instructing us to pray for evangelism than you would think. A lot of times, I think we just think, well, we got to go out and do it. But certainly, prayer is a big yeah. factor here that There's we might a, overlook. Number four, pray for opportunities. Paul said in Colossians 4, verse 3, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. So Paul says, pray for us that we'll have the opportunities. Pray for, so there's praying for opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can do that for ourselves and for others, that there'll be open doors of opportunity to spread the gospel. Okay. Pray for wisdom to say the right thing. Uh, Colossians 4, beginning verse 3, uh, well, that's what we just read, Colossians 4, 3, pray that a door of utterance will be opened. But then in that same context, verse 4, Paul says, 
in regards to their praying. Pray that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Uh, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So in conjunction to praying about opportunities to, to, to teach, Paul said, pray that you will be able to answer every man the way he ought to be answered. And so that would be prayer for the wisdom to do this work in the best way. You know, I, I don't know how to do it. Well, pray about that. Also, apply yourself, but pray that God will give you the wisdom to do the best work. All right. So excellent thoughts there. Pray for the lost. Pray for the gospel not to be hindered. Pray for workers, for personal opportunities, and for wisdom to say the right thing. Uh, in Certainly the chat room, let me, let me back up. In the chat room, uh, Ephesians 6, uh, Philip mentions Ephesians 6, verse 8, that utterance be given, that that is what we say, open mouth, speak boldly. That is, we pray that others preach boldly or encourage Christians, Colossians 4, 3, that doors be opened. So he, he's got the same idea there in mind. Thank you, Philip. Yeah, thank you for that, uh, Philip. Appreciate your, your thoughts along those lines. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses uh, 18 through 20 that he references there. Uh, let me get there. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. Um, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints <clears throat> and for me. That utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. Um, and so, in verse twenty, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that it may that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Uh, the real quick, what we got? We got just a couple minutes. I had asked, asked uh, uh, about the Jerusalem church as an example. We don't have time to do much of this, but Kent Kent can kind of summarize this for us. He sent in an email. Uh, he says the Jerusalem church was extremely successful. Such was the case based upon a number of variables. One, the Jer- Christians at Jerusalem were devoted to the Lord faithfully in their own personal lives. Number two, they saw the urgency of spreading the gospel and defending the faith because they were fully persuaded that those who had not obeyed the gospel and those who were unfaithful were in a lost condition and faced eternal punishment in hell. Which I think is a great point, Kent. If we're not really convinced that the people who are not obeying the gospel are lost, then we're not going to do much to try to save them. If we're not convinced that they're headed for hell, if we don't reach them, then we're not going to be very motivated to reach out. So he yeah, said good, they, good. they were, and we yeah. need to be. Number three, the unconverted mass of humanity also played an important role in first century evangelism. Many of these individuals were truth seekers who had grown tired of sin and were willing to make the necessary changes in their lives that would enable them to become Christians. The time was ripe when the gospel came. Uh, the scriptures call it the fullness of time. Everything was just right for the, for that explosive spread of the gospel. We understand that. And it may not be the same with us, although we've got some great advantages that they didn't have, uh, but the, the time was certainly ripe, and the, and the Jerusalem Christians stepped up and took advantage of it. Now, you look at that. The time was ripe then. There are other times in history where you can look where it wasn't ripe. You can look in our, our nation's history 100 years ago, 150 years ago, the time was ripe again. It's obviously not ripe right now, but it likely will become ripe again before too long. Yeah. And we need to be, we need to have our hooks in the water when it when it gets ripe. When the fish start biting, we That's need to right. be fishing. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right, good point. Uh, we're out of time. Uh, Kyle, any other closing comments from you? Uh, no, that's it. I think uh, we all need to definitely work on our own personal evangelism. We need to get to a point where we're comfortable and just move beyond the our homes and get out there. I think just, that's, just do it. Yeah, just do it, it like the Nike commercial. <laughs> like Tim said here in the, in the chat room, just do it. 
Uh, and certainly, I think if I think our uh, goal and and how we measure success is is critical. Let's not measure success by converts. Let's measure success by teaching. Yeah, and we can be successful at that every time we do it. Yeah. Um, okay, real quick before we sign off, next Monday and Tuesday, community Bible study downtown Columbia at the Memorial Building. Steve Klein will be presenting on Monday and Tuesday night the Christian and his vote. What kind of things do we need to take in consideration? What should be our values uh, that we take into the voting booth? You won't be sorry if you come. If you're in a driving distance, you want to be here. Uh, we're going to try to get this out live on a stream. We'll certainly try to get it on our website shortly after the the event closes. But... Um, we may try to. We may be able to live stream it, and if so, if we're able to get that live stream going, I'll send an email out that we're doing it. Okay, but but uh, then you'll have the recording if you can't do it. If you can't do it live, one way or the other, you need to be there or listen live or in the recording uh, to the community Bible study, July eighteenth and nineteenth, next Monday. Thevirtualbiblestudy dot com is where you find more information. Questions at, at collegeu dot com is the email address to send your questions about that. And uh, it's also where you send your comments for or suggestions for future editions of the Virtual Bible Study. Exactly right. Which we need more of those than we get. All right. All right. Good discussion. Kyle, thanks. thanks for being here. Well, thanks. It's good thanks, to be here. Dad, thanks for the uh, good discussion and encouragement. Thanks, and uh, thank you for joining us. Hope you benefit from our study and discussion of God's Word. Make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.